Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Good morning. <laughs> so, uh, and that was running a couple of lights to get here, so. I was thinking uh, about this. Do you remember the traumatic experience you had when you were growing up on the playground and uh, people picked teams? Remember that? And uh, it was a, it was there was a hierarchy going on on the playground. I mean, you knew who was going to jump up and volunteer to be the captain. You always knew the, who those guys were and girls. And then you always knew who the first pick was going to be. And it was based strictly on athletic ability and physical prowess. Either you had it or you didn't. Right? And you didn't really mind not being the first person because you were self-aware at a level where you're like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not the first. <laughs> but you didn't want to be the last person. Because the last person in that process, that's... I mean, honestly, what, what, what in elementary school philosophy, the last person picked is the least useful to the team. And that's traumatic, isn't it? You didn't want to be that person. You wanted to be somewhat useful at least, right? So I was thinking about that the other day, probably because I have post-traumatic stress syndrome from some of those. And I was thinking, if we were choosing today, how soon would you be picked? I mean, if your family was choosing because, you know, we're going to accomplish something, or people at your work were choosing, or people at church were choosing, how soon would you get chosen? Because it's no longer about your physical prowess or your athletic ability. Now it's about something else. It's about your cooperative spirit, your workability, your humility, your character. And when I think about that, that motivates me. It motivates me to go, you know what, I'm going to try harder. I don't want to be the last person chosen. I want to be the least useful person to the team. I don't need to be first. I mean, that'd be fun. <laughs> Not going to lie. But I don't want to be last. I don't want any group of people that I'm in to say, I think you're the least useful to this project. I think you're the least useful to this. Now, I know you probably don't think in those, you know, demented ways, but I do. And it challenges me at a personal level of what we say, what we do, how we behave, how we interact with people. A few years ago, uh, I had the opportunity to go to the beaches of Normandy. Now, I've always been very interested in World War II and everything that had to do with it. And I studied a lot. I did a concentration in college and took every class that was offered, and I, th I thought I knew a lot about D-Day specifically in Normandy, and, you know, I've read all the books. And so we went, and, and we saw a lot of things that I expected to see. Went to Gold Beach, Omaha Beach, and Point du Hoc, and, you know, we saw the reinforced, in, you know, gun placements. We saw all of that. Everything that I expected, the, 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 the incredibly emotional, moving cemetery that represents the sacrifice of that day, and what it meant. And, 
And then we were on this tour, and we pulled up into this little village called Aromages. Now, I've never heard of the village of Aromages. Maybe you have. I hadn't. And we went into a little theater, and we sat down, and we started to watch this movie. It was a black-and-white film, and it was film from June 7, 1944. And it showed ships coming across the English Channel, and they were carrying cargo that I did not recognize. I didn't understand what it was, what they were doing, what was going on. And then in a time-lapse photography setup, I watched as the ships were unloaded, and in very short order, they created a breakwater and a pier and a harbor. They, they set up a harbor, and I found out that these artificial harbors were called mulberries. How many of you have heard of a mulberry? Yeah, a few of you, but not many of us. And when the film ended, they opened the curtains and opened the doors, and we walked out on a patio, and overlooking the beach and the ocean, that's Gold Beach right there, were the remains of that harbor that was built on June 7, 1944. And when I got home, I said, I, I got to do some research. I, I had, I'd never heard of such a thing. Didn't know it existed. Never knew it happened. Come to find out, early in World War II, the Allied leader said, you know, one of the issues we're going to have when we finally move back into Europe is we're going to have to have a harbor, and we don't know how long it'll take to capture a commercial harbor, so we're going to have to build a portable harbor that can take these massive ships with all their cargo, with all the food, with all the supplies. That's what we're going to build, and it's going to be portable. We're going to build it all in England, and we're going to float it over. And the day after the invasion, on June 6th, on June 7th, we're going to put this thing together. And so they did. They started figuring it out. Engineers and, and, and construction people. And they worked and worked. And they sent special teams to France. And, and they snuck up on the coast. And they did underwater research with the tides and the sediment and the, 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 the sands and all the things that were going on. And they took all that information back, and they plugged it into their formulas, and they came up with three designs for potential harbors. And they found a space off the coast of Scotland that mimicked the coast of Normandy. And they went and built all three of those harbors. And a storm came and destroyed two of them. So there was a clear winner. <laughs> and they loaded two of these, constructed and built two of these, and on June 7th, floated them over, and the British engineers constructed one at Gold Beach, and the United States engineers constructed one at Omaha Beach, and the one at Omaha Beach didn't quite get secured properly, and a gale came and destroyed it, but the one at Gold Beach remained the primary port for the next six months. It wasn't decommissioned until 10 months later. And today, if you go to Aromages and you watch the little movie, you can still see the remains of the port because it's still there. <laughs> Aren't you amazed at what people can do when they work together for a common cause on a worthy project? That just blows my mind. And then we sit in this little space, and right here in the midst of us, we have folks that every day come together as teams to put satellites in space and launch telescopes into space and put rovers on Mars. People that are a part of this congregation, a part of this neighborhood. People coming together for a common cause and a greater purpose. Accomplishing unimaginable things. And that convicts me about the church of Jesus Christ. 
of what we could do, of what might happen if we came together for this greater good, this common purpose we have, to build the kingdom of God alive on earth. Alive on earth. I mean, I'm, I'm super excited that someday I'll die and get to go to heaven. I just don't want to go today. And I don't want to have to wait to experience the properties and the values of the kingdom of God until I'm dead. (laughs) Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that takes teamwork. Nehemiah was a brilliant team builder. And so as we think a little bit about what it is and how he rebuilt the team that built the walls of Jerusalem, I, I want you to think about the Apostle Paul and, and how he describes the body of Christ and, and what he says is so important about who you are and about how we function together and about what happens. Listen, 1 Corinthians 12, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body's not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not the eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there's many parts, but one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that, we seem, that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you are a part of it. And when I hear that, and when I think about it, I, I, I think about the beauty of it. Because I think back to that playground scenario, you know, when we had the people that were stronger and the people that were weaker. And Paul says, listen, that's not how the kingdom of God works. That's not how the body of Christ works. In fact, we celebrate what we consider to be the weaker parts because we have an understanding that the weaker parts are indispensable. Amen? Now, I don't know if you feel like you understand what that means necessarily. He's not saying we we make special caveat for the people in the congregation that are weaker or the people in our family that are weaker. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that very few of us ever say, that person's really good with working with their nose. We don't say that. We say that person is very good working with their their hands, their hands, because their hands do the work. But the hands wouldn't be doing much work without the indispensable ability of the nose to breathe. Can I get a masked amen? Amen. But we don't talk about the nose. We don't go around going, you know, man, my nose crushed it today. (laughs) It was filtering and filtering and filtering. I have no idea all the things it filtered today, but man, I am celebrating my nose today. Because we don't think like that. And in the kingdom of God, this is what happens. There's a whole lot of noses that feel 
like they're invisible, like their work doesn't matter. In fact, I would say in ministry, as in life, so much of what we do feels invisible and unappreciated. And part of the reason our teams don't work better is because we get discouraged. Isn't that true in our, in our homes and in our families? I mean, we just feel like a nose. And everybody's celebrating the hands. Amen? Oh, yeah, see, the noses in the room know what I'm talking about. All the hands are like, no, no. No, the hands should be celebrated. We do all the work. <laughs> and the noses are like, yeah, you wouldn't be doing any work at all. Except I let you breathe. Husbands and wives can discuss that later. <laughs> that in fact, this incredible value that we have for one another is a mark of the nature of the kingdom of God. Are we those people? Are we those people? Is that how we see each other? Democrats and Republicans and righties and lefties and, and, and all the chaotic reality of what human beings are? Do we look at one another and give honor Respect, because that's what team building is about. It's not about being the same. We're not all the same. I did a wedding on Friday night. I try to say to every couple at some point, and I try to say it in the middle of the ceremony, you are not compatible. One of you is a man and one of you is a woman. But you are beautifully complementary. Celebrate that. One of you is strong where the other is weak. Something inside of you knew, figured out how to find someone that completes you. Genesis 3 said God took this being that contained the whole image of God and he ripped it in half. I know, we translate it from medieval times. He took an, a rib from Adam's side and created a woman. That is not what the Hebrew says. It says he ripped the image of God in half. Do you know the next verse? Therefore a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. The halves will get put back together. <laughs> and it's complementary. And that's the vision of the kingdom of God. That this diversity, we're not all the same. We're not compatible. Good news, folks, we are not compatible as a congregation. Amen. <laughs> but we are so complementary. And because we know that, because we understand it, because we understand by the Word of God, we've all been given the same spirit to drink. We celebrate the diversity. We're not mad at somebody because they don't see things the way we see them. We celebrate this diversity. We give honor to the parts. Because you never know who is the nose. You never know who's the ear. You never know who's the sense of smell. You never know who's the sense of taste. You just never know. Everybody sees the hands and the feet, and, but not everybody understands the ears and the nose. And so we honor each other because we know that every part is indispensable. Amen? Amen. That's not just true in the church. That's true in our homes and in our families, too. It's true in the way God... Put, in fact, I love this part that he says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, and he puts the parts of the body together just as he wants them to be. Do you ever ask God why? I do. <laughs> I mean, amen, don't you? Like sometimes you just deal and you go, why, why would you have, I don't, 
I don't know. This is a this is a square peg in a round hole. I don't know how that fits together. But God does. But God does. And we honor it. So Nehemiah, he comes now to Jerusalem and he's ready to take he's taken the vision and he's made it into a project and into a plan. And now it's time to build the teams. And I'm going to attempt to read to you uh, an excerpt, a couple of little excerpts from chapters 2 and 3. I would encourage you to go back and read all of it. Uh, if you, I'll stumble through these names and then you can go back and stumble through all of the names. But there is a point to what happens. Nehemiah 2.17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. And I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. And so they began this good work. Skipping ahead to chapter 3 verse 1. Elishib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. And they dedicated it, and they set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. And then the men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, the son of Imri, built next to them. And the fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. And they laid its beams, and they put its doors and its bolts and bars in place. And Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, prepared the next section, and next to him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshabel. Can you imagine the name tags these guys had to wear? <laughs> made repairs, and next to him, Zadok, the son of Bana, made repairs, and next to that section was repaired the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work and work under their supervisors. So if you, if you follow the story and you read the whole thing, you start to recognize that all these different people from all these different walks of life came together to build the wall, and they experienced the miracle, the miracle of synergy. Synergy is that thing that happens when the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And because of their willingness to come together, they experienced this powerful synergy. And so not to ruin the story, but just so you know, they came together for this common good and, and what had taken an army weeks and weeks, actually months, to destroy these people, untrained, not, not ready for this, rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem and all of its gates in 52 days. 52 days this project takes from start to finish. And so immediately we, we are, we're going to learn some things in here. Number one, we're going to learn that the high priests and their fellow priests built a section of the wall. That must have been really refreshing. Amen? Because when you think about the high priest and the fellow priest, what do you think of? Robes, liturgy, questionable functionality. Amen? Okay, let's bring it down. When you think about a pastor... I mean, let's be honest. Generally, when you think about a pastor, you're not thinking that's the most useful guy on the team. I mean, Sunday, fine. Do your Sunday thing. But don't get out of the church because you might get hurt or something. I've been on so many mission trips, and it's always interesting how people treat me on a mission trip. You're like, oh. <laughs> pastor, do you want to give the devotional this morning before we start the work? I had somebody on a recent mission trip say to me, I didn't, I didn't know what you'd be like on a mission trip. I thought you'd just kind of show up once in a while to see what we were doing. Yeah, no, I can actually do work. The priests, 
And their fellow priest showed up. What a testimony to the community. Amen? What a testimony to the community. And then there was a perfumer. This detail is given to us. There's a dude that mixes perfume for the people in the community who is mixing mortar and stacking stones and bringing his expertise of perfuming to the building of the wall. There is the ruler of Jerusalem, and listen to this included in the details, and his four daughters who band together to build a section of the wall. That Nehemiah records for us these details that these people who were not at all alike came together for this greater good to accomplish something important. And in 52 days, these untrained, unqualified people completed the walls of Jerusalem and all of its gates. Well, it wouldn't really be a sermon if I didn't tell you the five things that I observed that they did that mattered so much. (laughs) Number one, they erased the line between the sacred and the secular. Isn't it funny how we think that this is sacred and out there is secular? And Ezra, he had come to rebuild the temple. That's, a, that's an easy pull. If you get the job of rebuilding the temple and you go to the people and you say, we're going to rebuild the temple, and, and once the temple is completed, the glory of God will descend on us and the presence of God will be with us, and he's going to start to restore some things. Let's all go work on the temple. It's going to be beautiful. It's God's house. We're doing it all for God. It's all going to be great. That's a, that's a pretty good pull. Nehemiah comes 100 years later and he says, Okay, everybody, I want you to get together because we're going to rebuild the uh, wall. We're going to rebuild the wall. Super exciting wall. It's going to be a wall. It'll be flat. Uh, hopefully it'll be plum. Hopefully some of you know what plum means. It'll be plum. It's going to have, uh, well, really no decorations at all. <laughs> It'll just be a wall. It's rather plain. It's going to be a wall. It's a wall. Everybody, let's work on the wall. Everybody excited to work on the wall? It's the wall. We're working on the wall. And yet, what good is a temple if you're not safe enough to get there? What good is this beautiful place of worship if the neighborhood is in ruins? What good is this immaculate structure if people don't have enough to eat? And they erased these lines between the secular and the sacred until they began to understand this. It's it's not that we consider everything to be sacred, except that maybe we do consider everything to be sacred. Sometimes I think we think, well, if I serve at the church, that's, that's sacred work. But when I invite my neighbor into my house to share a meal, that's, that's not sacred. Yeah, it is. When I run into somebody at the grocery store and I slow down and stop and I have a conversation and I listen to someone, that's sacred. And until we learn to erase the lines between what is sacred and what is secular, this is my father's world. And when I am commissioned in it, I am commissioned to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. I'm commissioned to go about my daily task, my secular task, and treat it sacred. I treat my words sacred. I treat my attitude sacred. I've said this before, but uh, when I get up here, I have a little routine I go through on Sunday, you know, a little ritual, and I have a prayer that I pray, and this is how the prayer goes. May the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be ordered by and therefore pleasing to you. 
And I got convicted about that some time ago. Because, <laughs> you, you know, you probably appreciate the fact that I take it seriously, that I actually think about what I'm going to say. I know sometimes you can't tell, but... <laughs> And we'd probably all, you know, we'd probably all say, you know, yeah, you should take special responsibility when you get up and talk to us on a Sunday. You should. But I got really convicted about this. Why should this conversation be any more sacred than any other conversation I have? Why wouldn't I pray that same prayer every morning before I wake up? <laughs> May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be ordered by and therefore pleasing to you because I don't know which conversation today might be the one that you want to use in some way I have no idea and when I decide what's sacred and what's secular then I'm missing something and Nehemiah had this great ability to just say hey it's all sacred it's all sacred we treat it all sacred because we don't know which thing God might use to broadcast his message of love and grace and transformation. Number two, they agreed on the value of the project. I, I think this is a big one. Uh, I, I don't know how, I, I mean, I think we have this issue going on in our world in so many ways right now. What is valuable? What should we be doing? What should the government be doing? We're not going to have that discussion. I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> and part of what builds teams is the understanding of what is valuable and that the project that we're working on is valuable. These folks had gone now a, a, a few decades without city walls, and, and they, did, they weren't hard to convince about the value of the city walls. They understood that it was good to have walls because it keeps bad things out. Now, I mean, you know, you can understand that. We, we live in, you know, uh, the foothills. So we have actually wildlife in our neighborhoods, don't we? Do you have wildlife in your neighborhoods? Coyotes especially are a big issue. So these folks, they lived in an area of wilderness. And so they had come to understand that the city walls actually keep wild animals out. And over the decades, they had gone, you know what's useful? Some walls and some gates. Because it turns out that if you don't have them, all kinds of things can wander into your neighborhood, and they're not all friendly wasn't just about wild animals, it was also about human animals. It was about the fact that a lot of people want to do you harm. A lot of people want to do you harm. And in that day and age, it was far different than it is today. Marauding people, robbers, thieves, groups of people that would come in, uh, other countries, other cities that would attack. And over the decades, they had been attacked, they had had loss, and they understood. Walls are pretty good for keeping bad things out, but it's also good for keeping good things in. There's a different spirit and a different attitude when people feel safe. Amen? Like you can actually go over to the temple and worship in peace. You can actually go over to the temple and, and not be rushed or worried. You can actually sit down with your family and enjoy your meal and not feel like you're looking over your shoulder. And these folks had come to understand and recognize the value of the project. And together they said, you know, we're going to accomplish this. This matters. This has significance. This impacts our lives in a big way. Do we agree on the values of the kingdom of God? What are we doing here? You know, the church of Jesus Christ is not about people who come together and worship on a Sunday. Amen? We are about people who come together to worship on a Sunday to give honor to our God and to become equipped to go change the world in Christ's name. If the church of Jesus Christ becomes content and we think this is the project, you know what the project is? Better lighting. 
the project is about this thing or that thing. The project is about changing the world in Jesus' name. This is a means to an end. For those of us that have started to believe that this is the be-all to end-all, it is not. This is the place where we encounter relationship and invite others into relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the place we open His Word and become equipped. This is the place that we enjoy fellowship and encouragement because we have all drunk of the one Spirit and, and we recognize that sometimes we come in here battered and beaten and scarred up and, and, and lacking that sense of peace and grace and we get refocused and we enter into sacred space and we quiet our hearts and we want to hear and experience the very presence of God because maybe all week it's been too hard. And so the worship team worships and the lights function to help us focus our attention on the one thing that matters most, being in communion with God. And when we finish, we leave equipped to go be the kingdom of God, the hands and feet of Jesus alive on earth, as though God himself are making his appeal through us, me, into this secular world that I'll walk where I never know if the next step is the sacred one, so I treat them all sacred. That's why we're here. Is it a worthy project? I think so. I think it matters. I think it matters. I think it matters. Is the church changing? Absolutely it's changing. Do we care? We're going to follow God. We're just going to do what He wants. Has the church changed over the last thousand years? Absolutely. Did it change the thousand years before that? Yes, it did. Would our parents recognize the church we live in? Probably not. Is that okay? Yes, it is. Because the church is a living organism. God saw to that. It's a worthy project. Number three, they swallowed their pride and they got to work. They swallowed their pride and they got to work. We have this one little caveat in the story, and that is, but some of the rulers declined to submit themselves to the supervisors, so they did not join the work. Well, there's a lot of that going on today, isn't there? Because there's always a few folks that can't swallow their pride. Their perspective is too powerful, it's too good, it's too right, it's too true. Their politics are sacred, other people's are not. Yet in the body of Christ, we consider everyone as indispensable. And they swallowed their pride. I just can't imagine the morale boost that it must have been to walk by and see the priest building the wall. I just think it was a morale boost. I think everybody in the town, just, they liked them better from that day forward. Amen? Don't you think they were better priests from that day forward? Don't you think that people look... I say this to some of our young people who preach. Listen, build relationships. That's a single thing that will make you a better preacher. If people like you, you're a better preacher. Amen? If they don't like you. I related that story to you about the kid I went to seminary with who raised his hand in class and asked, what kind of ministry would you suggest for a person that doesn't like people? Just think it matters. They swallowed their pride. I hear this today. Jesus came and upset everybody. And if you think you're going to be able to keep the peace in this world, 
you're mistaken. And I reflect on that, you know. Jesus was the Son of God. He was right. I'm not sure any of the rest of us should look at ourselves as being that right. That our opinion and our perspective and our theology have become ordained by God himself. Now, I hope we dig to be biblical. We dig to be scriptural. And there are some things we understand that are outside of those lines. But there are lots of things that are within those lines that we offer grace for. Amen? And we swallow our pride because there's a greater thing to it. Shouldn't this be the most loving body on earth? Shouldn't this be the place where in here we don't care about all that stuff? We swallow our pride and we set that stuff aside. Our opinions, our perspectives, because we believe in the humility that says, I'm not sure I'm absolutely right. I hope I'm right. I want to be right. I'm trying to be right. I'm digging to be right. I'm praying to be right. But I might not be right because I've been wrong once or twice before. And so I swallow my pride because there's a greater thing to accomplish. Because we've drunk of the one spirit. And we, we treat with honor the people within the body of Christ. And that's what's going on. That's what's going on in Jerusalem. There's this reality that they're looking at one another and they're erasing those lines. So the perfumer is working next to the priest. And the ruler of Jerusalem is working with his daughters next to them. And they're working together, and they've given up on the hierarchy, and they're not talking like that or acting like that or thinking like that anymore. They've got a common purpose to accomplish, and they've swallowed their pride, and they've gotten to work. And we're invited to do the same. We're invited to do the same. Number four, they took the project personally. It's my favorite part of the story. Nehemiah's brilliant. So they all, they all come and they go, okay, I'm, really, I'm willing to work. And he says, go home and build a wall around your house. So it's not the work of the community. It's not the work of the kingdom. It's the work of my neighborhood. It's the work of my house. And I would think that that would cause some difference in the way that the work is done, wouldn't you? I mean, if I was going to have to get up and look at the wall every day, I'd probably want it to look right. Amen? Maybe that's just me. If I was working on the wall somewhere else, I'd be like, ah, I'm never going to see that again. <laughs> when we did our projects in Bolivia, I love this, you know, you get pressed into service. So it doesn't matter if you know what you're doing. You're going to do some things. So, you know, you, you, we, we got there and we found out we were laying bricks. And then, then, then we did this. Have you laid bricks for? No. Have you? No. Well, I guess we're going to learn. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> and so the Bolivians have an expression, and that is, that's good enough. And we Americans don't have that expression. And so, so we'd put the bricks up and we'd go, ooh, this is bad. <laughs> this is bad, bad. No, this is bad, bad. This looks like a bad VBS project. <laughs> looks like the children lost control and built a brick wall. That's what it looks like. And the Bolivians would come. We'd call the supervisor in and go, uh, 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 this is what we've done today. And... And he would look and he would say, that's good enough. That's good enough. It turns out, we found out later, they're going to cover it with plaster, so nobody's ever going to see it. 
But the brilliant thing is they got personally involved. Listen, you just build, you build a wall around your house. You build it from here to here. Just, get, just do that part that's right there in your community. It's your neighborhood. You're going to see it every day. You're going to live in that space. It's the wall you're going to use. And they got personally connected to it. I think sometimes we think when we're serving God, we're doing something for the community. We're doing something for God. We're doing something for the church. No. God has prepared good works for us to do in advance. We're doing our work. Our work that he has commissioned and given us and created opportunities for us to serve. Our work that he wants us to do. What is your work? What is the work God is calling and inviting you to do? Number five, they celebrated everyone's accomplishments. I love this part of the story. When you read it, you're going to find out that about every other verse is, and so they dedicated this part of the wall, and then they dedicated this part of the wall, and they dedicated this part of the wall. It turns out there are dedications and dedications and dedications and celebrations and dedications and celebrations and dedications. And Nehemiah was brilliant enough to, to know that one of the things that makes the wall go up is the celebration of the accomplishments as they happen one at a time. Now, we have a mentality of, in fact, this is part of our discipline. We are not celebrating until the work is. So, you know, we do this to our kids. You know, can I have a treat? Not till your homework is finished. Can I watch TV? Not till your homework is. I'm making a lot of parents mad right now. It's just an illustration. But don't we think like that? We think like that in our homes. I'm not celebrating until it's done. I don't celebrate the little victories. I'm waiting for the big win. And we often don't ever get the big win because we don't celebrate the little victories. And we ought to celebrate. We ought to celebrate every little victory along the way. Because celebrating the victories and dedicating the little victories to God leads to bigger victories and more accomplishment. Because everybody wants to matter, and everybody wants to know their work matters, and everybody wants to know their life matters. And we ought to celebrate more. We're entering the season of Thanksgiving, and I would challenge you with this. I would guess that there are many, 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 many things in all of our lives for which we should be incredibly grateful and celebrate. But because they've become a part of the landscape, we take them for granted. If we lost them, if we lost them, we, we would immediately feel the loss. What's that song? They paved paradise and put up a parking lot. You never know what you've got till it's gone. And I bet all of us in these next few weeks could just slow down and go, I want to be thankful for what is happening around me. I want to celebrate the little things that go on day after day. I want to celebrate the nose and not just the hands because there's a whole lot of noses that are allowing the hands to do what they do and deserve celebration. What is your work? What is it that God has invited and called you to do? We are not here to perpetuate our own existence, not according to the word. We are here to build the kingdom of God alive on earth. In what way are we building the kingdom of God alive on earth? How are we doing it? What, are, what is our call? Where do we serve? What is the good work God has prepared in advance for you to do? It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your education. It doesn't matter your specialty. God might invite you to do work that has nothing to do with your training. 
but he calls all of us to be a part of the body of Christ and to accomplish his mission in the world. How soon would you be chosen? And what, what would prevent you? <laughs> Is there a gentleness that needs to take over? Is there a, 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 co- a collaborative, cooperative spirit that ought to take over? Is there, what is it that can allow us to bond as the body of Christ and as the team of believers who can change the world in His name? God, would you please help us? Even as we respond to your word and we sing these powerful words again, and we think about what it means for each of us to do the work you have invited and created and set aside for each of us to do in advance. You know us. You know our story. You know how we're made and how we're wired. I pray as we enter into this holiday season, as we enter into a a season of thanksgiving and gratitude, that you would open our eyes to the people around us that deserve celebration. And that you'd also open our eyes to the work that you've prepared for us, that you'd teach us to get personally involved, that you'd remind us that we're erasing the lines between the sacred and the secular, and we treat all things sacred because that's who you are, and it's how you work. So would you do your work in our hearts? whether we're in the room, in our home, watch later in the week, whatever it might mean, Lord, would you do your work in us? Even in these moments, may we sense your presence. Would you apportion grace, conviction, challenge to each person as there is need? As you do that, we're going to give you all praise and honor. We ask it all in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, will you stand as we respond to the word? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.